This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! All right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking about what should be an all-female cast. We're talking monster choreography. And we're talking barbed wire where no barbed wire should go. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking Daddy Pyramid Head and the things he can do to my hole with that big stick of his. Okay, ew. (laughs) But mostly just because that pyramid is so big, I have questions and concerns. There is, like, fan art. And what do you call fan art that's porny? Like, I know there's, like, like, Yaoi is, like, the manga that's, like, gay kind of stuff. But, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Either way, there's a lot of... um, Porn, porn fan art <laughs> yeah <laughs> about pyramid head much like i mean i'm going all the way back to scooby-doo when <laughs> people are like oh yeah there's like total porn drawings of scooby-doo there are porn drawings of pyramid head i mean i'm not surprised because there's literally porn of pretty much anything you can think of that's fair um we are talking the foggy foggy <laughs> fog town of silent hill everybody and it's long it's long, it's drawn out, but it's gorgeous. It's also celebrating its 15th anniversary. So, I'm so glad you remember that. Look at you go, you old video game adaptation, you. Well, you know, and this is, what, our second foray into video games? I think our first one was the Fatal Frame one, but we haven't done yes. a video game movie on the main feed since then, right? Yes, I like the subtle plug, because we have, of course, covered Monster Hunter on the Patreon recently. And soon to be both Mortal Kombat films. So everyone, go to our Patreon and subscribe to hear that shit. Um, It should be good. We'll see. Yeah, and that was super subtle. So, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) We've got a lot to talk about. We have a video game. We have a movie. We have other things that are, like, subtle and not subtle in this film. So I think we're going to need some help, Joe, and... Mm -hmm. I think we have our highest number of guests we've ever had this week. So, everyone, they are the co-hosts of Podmortem, a weekly horror podcast bringing you varying points of view on contemporary, classic, and cult horror films. They are dedicated to bringing you scene-by-scene reviews with healthy doses of trivia, commentary, and yucks. (laughs) Please welcome Travis Hunter, Renee Vasquez, and John Paul Vasquez. Hey! (laughs) Hello, everyone! Hi! (laughs) <laughs> uh, I am I'm looking for my daughter Sharon and yelling her name a lot. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, folks, we had a we had a joke going in our Twitter DMs where it was like, if you took a shot every time somebody said Rose or Sharon in this movie, you might die. Yeah, no, you're dead. <laughs> it's the only rule you need. 
<laughs> I was having the Osbournes flashbacks with all the Sharon. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's weird because in the video game, like, her name is, uh, oh, my God. I think it's Cheryl. Cheryl, yeah. So right. I don't know why. It's little things like that when adapting anything. When it's like, there are obviously things to change. You can't adapt a video game, like, scene by scene by scene because then it's going to be, you know, anywhere from 8 to 16 hours long but when it's something like that when it's like why are you going to change a character's name when it's still the same character and it the change is so subtle mm -hmm. it's like why <laughs> <laughs> why is a question i have for a lot of this movie and i i, I know <laughs> i know it no i know it sounds like i'm coming down hard i actually do really enjoy this movie i just i i am aware of its flaws and i have no shame in making fun of them yeah, fair. I mean, fair. fair enough. Yeah, can't argue with that at all. <laughs> so y'all chose to come on this episode specifically, or did one of you choose and bully the other two into coming on? I mean, I may have done a little arm <laughs> twist. <laughs> but look, we're it's okay, here. Just own okay, just own that. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so then the question becomes why. So Renee, why did you gravitate to Silent Hill? Well, I mean, growing up, Silent Hill was a big, like me and my brother, Travis, would always <laughs> play um, horror games. Yeah, well, she's being very polite because I would watch her play <laughs> horror games because I was far too afraid. But oh. I eventually grew up and was able to play them myself. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that was last year. Yes, exactly. Yes. Very fresh. But we grew up playing horror games, so it kind of has a... I guess a special place in our heart and mm -hmm. the adaptation itself was never anything that we really, at least myself, which is where Nay's strong arm came in. <laughs> well, honestly I saw it and I was like, I love silent Hill. That'll be fun to talk shit about. It was <laughs> right. my first thought. And then rewatching it, I was surprised that I'm honestly, for the most part, not mad at this movie. Mm hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's still fun to talk shit about it. Oh, yes. Uh, I played the first one when it, when it first came out and the second one. And then I kind of, you know, got a little older and didn't really play games too much. And then, <laughs> of course, once me and Renee started dating and I figured out, you know, she played video games too. And then <laughs> we shared our fondness of the game and... It was love at first sight. Aww, that's <laughs> I awesome. lured him in with all the fog and the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually love the anecdote about Travis, how you said, you know, you used to watch her play. I used to do the same thing, not with horror games, but with um, as a kid, which is like a lost, I don't even want to call it an art really, but um, of watching someone else play video games. I used to watch my friend across the street growing up play Zelda games because I always thought they were too hard. <laughs> I was like, how does anyone figure this shit out? This is way too much <laughs> to do. So I would just watch my friend play, and it was really fun. And honestly, with this episode, you know, I, I didn't grow up with these games. I was a Nintendo kid through and through until about 2009 when I got my first PlayStation 3. And oh, wow. I know. Well, I know. And so I, I, and I only got a PlayStation 3 because Resident Evil 5 was not going on a Nintendo system because I only got into horror games because they remade the first Resident Evil game for the GameCube in 2002. 
so I played all these Resident Evil games, and they put four exclusively on there for like a year, and then they were like, oh yeah, five's coming out in 09, PS, it's not on a Nintendo system, it's only the <laughs> PlayStation and the Xbox. So I was like, well, fuck, now I gotta get a PlayStation, I guess. Yeah, so you got strong-armed as well. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, it's the console wars. <laughs> By the gaming industry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I never played these, so I, I, you know, watched some playthroughs of some. I watched one playthrough of the first game and one playthrough of the second game, just to kind of see what these games were like because I honestly had no idea and it just brought me back to that time as a kid of just watching someone else play video games which sounds boring in theory but not actually it's kind of fun in practice <laughs> well I think watching the gameplay differs right because there's a cinematic level to the game it's scary it's moody it's atmospheric in a lot of ways it's what we've come to expect from the games that have grown in popularity like The Last of Us. Like I can see direct connections to the more popular games that we have nowadays to some of these older games. Like they really set the mold. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Well, and it's interesting because whenever I hear people talk about Silent Hill the games, it's always like, oh my God, I would like I had to turn the light on. It was too scary. And I felt that about some of the Resident Evil games, but watching Silent Hill, I was like, oh, that's not really that scary. But it's it's because it's so different when you're just watching it as opposed to actually participating in the horror. And it's like watching it, I'm like, okay, I realize that playing this, this would be scary. And that's kind of why I like horror games so much, is because I think, and maybe y'all feel the same, but as horror viewers, like, I still get scared in some movies depending on what, but I'm a bit more hardened in my fear, I guess. And so the participational element in in horror video games, I really appreciate because it makes me feel more... It scratches that itch, I guess. It's ch- I'm chasing that high of like being <laughs> no, scared. Absolutely. Well, in horror films, you're in the back seat, mm-hmm. and so playing the game. I remember speaking of Silent Hill, that last Silent Hills game that we never got. Oh God, I know. Mm-hmm. When I played that um, PT, that playable mm-hmm. teaser, or whatever. I, John Paul was watching me and I was like, I literally can't go around this corner. Like I had yeah. to hand him the controller because it's like. <laughs> I'm not doing that to myself. Like, I'll watch somebody do it. <laughs> That's the thing with PT, right? Like, and listeners, if you don't know, yeah, PT was a play, it's a playable trailer for that was teasing the concept of a new Silent Hills game with the involvement of Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus was going to star in it. And the playable trailer was like 20 minutes long. And you're literally just in one hallway the entire time as yes. a ghost lady stalks you. Yes. <laughs> and it's horrifying. It's terror. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But we'll never get it. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, R.I.P. I'm kind of surprised that the games were so popular and then they just kind of fell off. Like, I think that this property is ripe for another adaptation or a new entry in the game franchise because it seemed like there was a lot of goodwill towards it. It had nothing to do with sales. I do believe that there's something with Konami. There was an issue there. And I think that they've just like, essentially given up on the franchise. Good for them. Okay. (laughs) Look the other way from a cash cow. I think they had said they wanted to move towards mobile gaming, but I don't know. Uh... I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of games, you know, you pay to win, and that's kind of what they want to cash in on. That actually makes a little sense because, so, um, A, yeah, if you look at the chronology of the games, there's eight main entries, like, for consoles, but there's a bunch of mobile games that started coming out at, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s, and we just covered Monster Hunter for the Patreon, sorry to 
this is like not an intentional plug, but um, because <laughs> I, well, because I, I had never heard of the Monster Hunter franchise and I, I was doing research and it was like, oh yeah, they were really popular in Japan because for the longest time, the Monster Hunter games were basically geared towards mobile systems like the PSP, which are huge in Japan, but over here in the United States, we prefer home con- uh, major consoles. So it wasn't until like two years ago when they really released one that was geared towards a console that it took off in the States. So if Silent Hill is trying to go, if they were trying to do more mobile stuff, that would make sense. But that means they're really focusing on the Japanese market and not the American market. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a lot easier to monetize as well. No, yes. definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not to make it all about money or anything. but <laughs> What? Money? Yeah. What's that? What's I've never that? heard of that. <laughs> Before I go into any production, though, what is y'all's relationship with the film? So we went over the games. When did y'all first see this film? I think I first saw it actually when it came out. I think Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Interestingly, I remember being told that it was awful. And for some reason, that inspires me to want to watch a movie. I don't... (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And so I watched it. And oddly, I was quite bored by it the first time I saw it, but... Rewatching it this week for us to talk about today, I was genuinely surprised by how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are issues. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I, I saw this movie on a date. I was in high school when this came out. And um, I just remember the, the guy that I saw it with, we looked at each other like... It's somewhere in the middle of the climax, and we're just like, no, I'm sorry. It was during the exposition monologue that Alessa gives for 10 minutes. <laughs> we, we looked at each other like halfway through in the theater, and we're like, what? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of what the fuckery that goes on in this movie. Like, I had no relationship to the game. I only knew about this film because I was a big fan of Christophe Gons, and mm-hmm. I liked Rada Mitchell from Pitch Black. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this looks spooky. It looks good. I'll go and check it out. And then, yeah, you're like, oh, I'm settling in for two hours of mostly fogginess with <laughs> a strangely all-female cast, which at the time felt like a very big novelty in Hollywood films. And then also, yeah, just the back half of this film where you're like, I'm exhausted. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Why are there all these burnt children? I'm confused. I feel like that's an excellent point because, first of all, this film does not need to be two hours long. And secondly, I feel like somebody who has no relationship with the game would be like, what the fuck is going on? Yes. Because it just goes off the rails after a certain point. Well, you know, that's why I'm glad that I at least watched, especially the first game, because this film takes the plot of the first game and incorporates, it's mostly that until they change the third act, basically. Mm. And then they take elements of the second, third, and fourth games, mostly the second game, because the second game is the one that introduces Pyramid Head and has a lot of the the, the franchise's most iconic monsters and imagery. But given the subject matter of the second game, there's issues there with bringing it into this film. And that might be a good segue into kind of what what we're dealing with here, (laughs) because the game is very abstract like it's very much it's very lynchian like i guess they took a lot of um inspiration from david lynch and where it's like oh this is very psychological where it, all this is representative of the interior of a character's head and their mind and all this stuff and so when i was doing research on like what certain monsters represented and blah 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 i was like who the fuck took the time to figure this out because the game does not explain this stuff to you <laughs> <laughs> well, i think that would be roger avery right well, no, no, no. Gaming in 1999 to the early 2000s was a little bit different. And you, 
you know, there weren't strategy guides coming out. There wasn't the internet. You had to do everything on your own. You talked with friends. And so a lot of these interpretations of creatures were, like, discussed by people as they were playing them. But then eventually Konami, or maybe someone official involved with the games, released a book that basically had input from staff from all the games. It said, oh yeah, this means this, this means this, this means this. But they're not going to spell it out for you because... Or imagine something like um, anything Lynch does, where it's all up to interpretation. Right. So, okay, Silent Hill. It's a survival horror video game for the PlayStation, published by Konami in, uh, in 1999. The fog was actually a construct of technological limitations. It wasn't a deliberate thing. You'd be like, oh yeah, we're going to make this town foggy. <laughs> to, to, to mitigate the limitations of the console hardware, the developers liberally used fog and darkness to muddle the graphics because you can only, I guess, have <laughs> so much on screen at one time. So that's why in Silent Hill, the game, if it's in the fog world, there's fog hiding everything. And when you're in the other world, it's darkness and you just have your candle, your flashlight lighting things. That just sounds savvy to me. It's like, yeah. you know, we recognize our limitations. Like mm-hmm. We're leaning in to the limitations. Like, yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I feel like the Fog World is this franchise's trademark aesthetic. And so it's like, oh, it wasn't even intentional. They just did it because they had to. <laughs> love that for them. Um, so, yeah, the whole, like, ash falling into town and, like, the coal fire or whatever, that is a movie construct. There is, like, snow falling in the foggy town in the first game, but it's not, it, it's none of this. Avery, um, the screenwriter, took the town of Centralia, Pennsylvania, a town where coal deposits from the local mine caught fire and released toxic gases into the town, created sinkholes, and um, when the abandoned mine shafts and coal seemed to collapse, and it became an abandoned town. So he was like, that's a cool idea. We'll explain that. I think that's a big failing, sorry, not failing, but an issue I have with the movie is that it tries to over-explain things, but in the process makes things more confusing. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, the team introduced a fear of the unknown as a psychological type of horror. The plot in the game was intentionally made vague and occasionally contradictory to leave its true meaning in the dark and to make players reflect upon unexplained parts. Um, the director of the game didn't have much experience of horror movies, but was interested in UFOs, the occult, and David Lynch. The game received positive reviews from critics upon its release and was commercially successful. It's considered a defining title in the survival horror genre, along with games like Alone in the Dark for PC in 1992, Doom for MS-DOS in 1993. Oh, sweet Jesus. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Blast in the past, right? And Resident Evil in 1996 for the PlayStation. So this one does come late. It's the tail end of the 90s, but it's before Fatal Frame. It's considered by many to be one of the greatest video games ever made, as it moved away from the B-horror elements of something like Resident Evil, and more towards a psychological horror style, emphasizing atmosphere over all other things. That just sounds super catty, like, oh, well, it didn't do what these other games did, so it's like a classic <laughs> of the genre. It's like, oh, okay, are we talking about, like, prestige or elevated horror games? Shut up. Kind of? I mean, that's the thing. Like, watching the the footage, and again, y'all can chime in if y'all remember this, but it's a lot of running around this town. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like I would get bored playing this, unless I had a strategy guide. But it's a lot of, yeah, it's it's running around, like, where the fuck do I go? But that's the fun, right? You're exploring. It's terrifying because there's monsters running around. Yeah, that was that was one thing that I do remember was a lot of the running around and trying to remember what street you ran down and I got to double back cuz I got to go over here and that okay, so the the there's a moment in the movie when they're about to go to the hospital basement and Rose has to like memorize the directions to the map on the room <laughs> she has to go to 
And the map looks just like the in-game map for the hospital. And it's like, oh my God, this is, ex- she's the player. This is what people had to do back then. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was fun. It, oh God. No, and that, that's the thing too, is I will say that I think in terms of a video game adaptation, this might be one of the best I've seen. Not just as a film, like I have issues with it, but it just in terms of adapting a game, it captures the style, the tone, the atmosphere, so many other things about it better than most video game movies I've seen. I would agree 100%. As we were watching it, I was like, man, you can really tell Christoph Gans loves this game. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's not Uva Bowl. <laughs> oh, my God. As soon as Trey said, like, Alone in the Dark, all I thought was, okay, well, if we're going to talk about bad video game adaptations, like, there is the gold standard of just absolute shit. Yeah. That's that's staying close to the game a little too closely. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the game actually follows Harry Mason. So it's technically the Sean Bean character that, that the game follows um, because the wife is dead in the game. <laughs> As he searches for his missing adopted daughter, Cheryl, in the eponymous fictional American town of Silent Hill, he stumbles upon a cult conducting a ritual to revive a deity it worships. And then he discovers his daughter's true origin. In the first game, there's not really a reason given for the other world's existence. Uh, the common consensus is that you're stepping into the mind of Alessa, um, the dark version of Cheryl. It's Some people think it's an alternate dimension, um, or some people think it's Alessa's nightmare has manifested in the town, conjuring up poltergeists. But the monsters are all supposed to be representative of something in Alessa's psyche. So, like, the gray children that attack her in the alley, um, they're supposed to represent Alessa's classmates, um, as seen through her eyes, reminding her of her torment. Um, in the game, they carry knives to represent, like, the how the words would literally, like, hurt her. Not literally, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> figuratively hurt her. <laughs> Well, if they got knives in the game, that's the part where they're going (laughs) to... Literally. (laughs) Right. And then there's evil doctors and nurses that represent Alessa's view of them as they cared for her after her immolation. But, important to note, in the first game, they aren't the sexified nurses we see in this film. Those are for the second game, and there's a reason for that. (laughs) But basically, the explanation in the game is, you know, seven years earlier, not 30 years earlier... Dahlia, who is her mother, um, but in the movie they split Dahlia into two people. There's Dahlia, her mother, and Christabella, the cult leader. In the game, Dahlia is the cult leader. She conducted a ritual to force Alessa to birth the cult's deity. Alessa survived, but she's all burned up and really angry and shit. Her mental resistance to the ritual caused her soul to be bisected, preventing the birth of the demon. So one half represents um, is manifested as the infant Cheryl, whom Harry and his wife adopted. Harry, sorry, the Sean Bean character, because that's his name in the game. <laughs> and then Dahlia casts a spell to bring her back, blah, blah, blah. In the end, the demon does get born, and you gotta fight it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so super simple is what you're saying. Very <laughs> Not at all, but that's kind of my big thing, is like the movie... Instead of it, oh, it's an evil cult that wants to sacrifice a child to give birth to their god. The movie's like, no, 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 they're going to be a religious cult that hates sin, and that's it. I mean, for idiots like me who are going into this because they're like, Spooky and Rada Mitchell, that's probably a smart decision. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing, too. So really quick, because I want to ask y'all y'all's thoughts on this. Because I do think that this is a film that works better if you've played the game, and that's fine but i do think that that's also bad <laughs> for for casual viewers it's a barrier when you're spending what is it like 60 million dollars on a movie that you're hoping will make its money back and in order to do so you need to bring in non-game players mm-hmm. so that is uh an interesting strategy 
so okay so my, my last point about the games is this so the, the monsters in this movie most of them are from silent hill 2 so we have the sexy nurses so silent hill 2 is about a man who has murdered his wife because she was terminally ill so he smothered her with a pillow and the whole game is him basically working through his guilt of killing her and also the sexual frustration he felt when he couldn't have sex with her because she was so sick Jesus Christ. He's a, he's a class act. Yeah. I mean, granted, the, the, the game does a better job of, because like, you don't, it's like a twist at the end of the game where it's like, oh, he killed his wife, blah, 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 blah. And he he's actually went to the town to kill himself, um, which he does at the game's end. But like, so like the nurses, the sexified versions of them are supposed to represent the character's uh, subconscious memory of, well, A, the reason that their faces are all like, you know, they have no face. Um, that represents th the smothering of his wife with a pillow. But the uniforms and their cleavage represents his sexuality, possibly stemming from the time he spent with his wife in the hospital. In the game, there, uh, sorry, in the movie, there's also the the lying figure, which is the one that spits acid on Cheryl and Rose. Uh, sorry, um, on Sybil and Rose when they're at the town's edge. That's supposed to be like, oh, it's people like that he sees like in straitjackets in the hospital, things like that. Pyramid Head himself represents the main character's guilt and inner torment over killing his wife, so he's constantly punishing himself, which is embodied by Pyramid Head constantly trying to kill him. That all works. If you know that from the games, you're like, huh, so we're applying all this sexual frustration, wife-killing guilt to a nine-year-old girl. <laughs> I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> I mean, I think that's why we get in this whole, like, janitor-molester thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. They had to find a way to explain it away yeah, somehow. Yeah, some kind of surrogacy. Because otherwise the nurses are sexy for no reason. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask, though. So, you know, there's a reason that these things are like this in the games. And so while I do agree, and we all seem to agree, that the film does embody the game's, like, atmosphere and tone very well, I also feel like it kind of misses the point when it's like, okay, well, like, you're just cherry, uh, like, cafeteria picking these monsters because they're iconic, but you're completely ignoring why they exist in the first place. So the movie kind of has this sense of oh it's just a town of monsters that don't really mean anything so it, it i feel like it kind of loses that deeper meaning that the games have i would agree the way i thought of it as i was watching it was it's this guy's love letter to the game and much like a lot of love letters it's a little sloppy at times <laughs> i mean that's fair <laughs> I feel like with any like video game adaptation, you have to walk that line. Like Joe said, you're going to need people that didn't play the game to come and watch the movie. But at the same time, if you change it enough to make it appealing to them, you're going to piss off the people that love the game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I feel like he did his best, <laughs> but you're right. It does undercut, you know, all the symbolism, but I mean, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess I'm thinking to myself, well, they could have just adapted the second game. That would have made sense, but whatever. No, you're yeah, right. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the movie, Christoph Gans actually attempted for five years to obtain film rights. So he actually started like in 1999 trying to get the rights for this game, which I guess is why they adapted the first one, because the second one hadn't come out yet. So during the process of trying to acquire these rights, three games had been released. He sent a video interview to Konami to them explaining his plans for adapting Silent Hill and how important the games are to him. They were so impressed they rewarded him the film rights. I think he, like, filmed scenes from the game in his home to be like, look, this is what I want to do. And Aww. they were like, all right. <laughs> Showed initiative. I can't fight that. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So in 2004, which at this point, four games in the franchise would have been released, um, Gans and screenwriter Roger Avery uh, began writing the script. When the script was finished, a studio memo was sent to Gans and Avery that voiced concerns about the lack of a male presence in the film. Boo. Because... <laughs> yes, Boo. Well, and it's like they went through all this trouble because, again, the the games, the first game's protagonists, well, the first both games' protagonists are men. So they actually made a conscious decision to make the main character in this film a woman, despite the fact that that wasn't in the game. And then the studio's like, mm, we need a penis. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and they added, like, if I may, a worthless penis. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, we don't need him at all in this movie. And it no. wouldn't change anything. No, you could have a husband at the beginning and the end, and then you could just have Rose on the hunt for Sharon for the rest of the time. Absolutely. And that that was the intention, I think. Yes, it was. But instead, we end up with not one useless penis, but two, because we also have <laughs> Gucci, the cop mm. who just drops exposition, like their dollar bills or something. And it's just like, <laughs> what are these men doing Every time somebody says, oh, well, the runtime of this film is egregious. Why do they need it? It's like, they didn't. They had to add 10 <laughs> yeah. minutes of these fucking men. Well, that's the thing, right? I feel like I feel like the combined runtime for Sean Bean scenes is probably around 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's only there to provide exposition. That's the only reason this thing exists. So if you cut all that out, it cuts back on boring expository scenes. Mm-hmm. And you lose this character. Because I, I honestly feel like it cuts into the pacing, too. Like oh, yes. It's like we get this really intense scene with Rose and insert monster here. And then we got to go back and look at this fucker walk around town. Yeah, to the point where when we get to the plot, you'll see that I just kind of like collapse references to Chris to be like, and Chris does this. Let's move on. (laughs) So every time a scene of his popped up, I pretend like it was like a TV show and I called it Back to Bean. And so I just have like, (laughs) I just have like a list of all of Bean's scenes. It's like the Back to Bean show. (laughs) So yeah, that happens. Production began in April 2005, a year before the movie came out. It was filmed in Super 35 film format, except for the scenes in the darkness, which were filmed in high-definition video. So I actually like that he also changes film formats to establish a visual language between the two worlds. Mm. But it was also technical, because high-definition video cleanly captures light better, and they can digitally manipulate it better in (laughs) post-production. Yeah, which I think is really important in this film, because we're doing a lot of FX work. It's a lot. It's a lot of FX work. To maintain the feel of the games, they actually brought in the sound designer from the game, Akira Yamaoka. They flew him to set several times. All the music in this movie is video game songs, with the exception of Johnny Cash's song. And it's either like lifted directly from the game, or the score was taken, they re-recorded it and put it in the film. Yeah, you can tell. And then, yeah, so uh, Sony bought distribution rights for $14 million, released it under TriStar Pictures. Uh, it was released in theaters on April 21st, 2006. But like most video game adaptations at the time, critics were not allowed to see this movie in advance of its release, which is a red flag, at least for me, <laughs> when I'm like, oh, <laughs> they don't have faith in this movie. Yeah, they're trying to hide it because they want to get that first day rush before people can read reviews. But here's the thing. Okay, have y'all ever seen, I don't know, well, yeah, let's say House of the Dead or Doom. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> Those are, like, noticeable turkeys, you know? Like, they are bad, bad movies. Doom arguably has some fun, but it's still bad. This movie, while it's muddled in a lot of things, there is an artistry here that I'm like, how were critics so quick to dismiss this when it's like, okay, but there's talent here. A lot of my issues with this film are purely on a script level. 
Yes, and if you happen to look at the special featurettes on any of the discs, you'll see that Roger Avery is only involved in a couple of them, but he often talks about trying to capture the spirit of the game. And I think in that case, he's actually doing a pretty good job. He definitely does go back to the same wheelhouse a little too often, but like, not unlike a lot of other video game films, you can see how they're doing boss level fights, but there's way more artistry here. And I think if you're a critic and you're dismissing what Gons is bringing to the table, then A, you haven't seen the sequel, and B, <laughs> I think you're just overlooking the absolute artistry and craft that goes into making this world. I would totally agree with that. I feel like I don't want to say the word snooty, but I will say <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of critics are like, oh, it's based on a video game. Fuck that movie, which is not yeah. fair. Right from the beginning. Yeah. Right? You'd mentioned, too, that you were like, oh, I thought it was boring the first time I saw it. I had someone reach out to me last night and was like, my date and I walked out of the theater because we were so <laughs> bored. <laughs> Jesus. And he's like, is it worth finishing? And I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> I have seen some boring. I can understand. Like, okay, move the plot along, whatever. It's two hours and five minutes long. But I'm also like, you were so bored that you walked out of the theater? Like, you didn't even want to try to figure out what was going on? Because that's honestly what kept me glued in my seat. I was like, what's going on? Yes. <laughs> well, and particularly, you know, the end of the film, there's going to be a payoff. Like, you're going to get some kind of FX monster production. So. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, I just find by the time we get to Alessa's exposition dump, that's where I'm kind of like, okay, I don't know that I need to know all of this. Can we just kill some people? But then we get the payoff at the end, and it actually makes it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. The barbed wire set piece is a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, this earns $20 million opening weekend, opening in the number one slot. It was a bad weekend, though. Like The, the other new releases were American Dreams, the Mandy Moore, like, American <laughs> Idol satire. Yikes. Which was, like, open in number eight. And then the Sentinel, the it's like Ava Longoria, I want to say Michael Douglas, oh, and wow. Jesse. No, I don't know. It, it, bad. <laughs> Nothing. No one remembers anything. <laughs> <laughs> so memorable, we can't remember who's in it. Yeah. But it has a budget of $50 million, which I'm just like, holy shit, a studio gave this weird-ass, gory, R-rated movie a $50 million budget. <laughs> yeah. It grosses $46 million domestically, so technically it's kind of a bomb, um, but it goes on to gross $100 million worldwide. And yeah, I think maybe that gross is why it took us six years to get a sequel, but I don't know. Well, they should have waited longer or like <laughs> never. <laughs> have you all seen the sequel as well? Yes, it's it, yeah. We don't talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> jo Joe and I both watched it in the past 24 hours just mm. to like oh, compare. I, my condolences. <laughs> it's uh yeah, the, the 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 sequel is 30 minutes shorter and feels 3 hours longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also feels like a music video, which like I don't mean in a good way, unfortunately. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I mean, that's really it. I mean, I, I apologize for the lengthy uh, explanation there. But I feel like, again, like diving into this world this past week has been really fun and enlightening for me. So I had to share some of my joy with that. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So let's kick off the plot. So we begin with a opening scene that introduces this family. We've got sleepwalking adopted daughter Sharon, who is played by Jodell Ferdlin. And I like her. She's grown up to become a relatively good actress. Yay. Wait, is she doing <laughs> things now? She was on a sci-fi show a couple of years ago. 
Oh, fuck. okay. Of course, I can't remember the name, but it was like a space show where she played like a <laughs> child stowaway who was a genius. And I was like, ah, she's still good. She's still got it. I always get her confused with um, Davy Chase from The Ring. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's girls with long, dark hair that gets in their yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> that are all evil and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so we also have protective Mother Rose, played by Rada Mitchell. And then we have a bland penis in Sean Bean's Chris. <laughs> And all you need to know from this opening scene is that Sharon is sleepwalking, having these bad reactions, and she keeps saying that she needs to go to Silent Hill. But from the get-go, the camera work is on point here. Like, it's a lot of flow. Even the scene at the, are we going to call this a ravine? A cliff? I don't know what it is. Sure. Um, It looks (laughs) great. I will say that um, credit should be given to cinematographer Dan Lauston. He's actually one of Guillermo del Toro's go-to cinematographer. And that's why it looks so good. He also does uh, the John Wick sequels. Mm, Interesting. I mean, it it definitely makes sense that a lot of people have worked with Del Toro because this was shot in Toronto, which is where Del Toro has shot a bunch of his movies. So, yeah, because the production designer is also the same as Shape of Water. Right. Okay, that makes sense because this guy also shot Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's important if you're looking for your symbolism early in this film, as you mentioned, Trace, we do get this scene at a ravine. And of course, later when they get to Silent Hill, they find they can't leave because they are stuck by a cliff in an abyss. And then there's also a church very well positioned in the background of this, which suggests, hey, we're about to go into like scary religious territory. I thought that was so weird when I saw the cross in the background. I was like, why is that? Did they not want to get rid of that in post-production? <laughs> like They didn't want to erase it? But that makes more sense yeah that's good <laughs> yes they just didn't want to get rid of it <laughs> well because no because it's like this dark skyline but then you have this fucking light up cross in the background i was like that's weird yeah you <laughs> see it it's just there one is like is that supposed to be there <laughs> <laughs> i did want to say that while it is visually impressive the not so subtle sharon screaming silent hill over and over <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jodel Farrellin is a good actress, but it's just, yeah, every time I've seen this movie, she's like, Silent Hell! Silent Hell! <laughs> Doesn't sound good. That's a great. It's hard to make that scary and or compelling. You're like, okay, we get it. Maybe just stick to the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> they found her at the uh, orphanage, you know, in Silent Hill or just outside of Silent Hill. So... It was in Brahms, mm-hmm. please. Mm. Let's get the details correct. <laughs> okay, but nevertheless, there's a way to, like, for them to be like, oh, we need to take her back to that town we got her from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of having her go, Silent Hell! Silent Hell! <laughs> dead by dawn! Dead by dawn! <laughs> Yeah, so basically we are headed to Silent Hill. Walking Penis is not having it. So (laughs) Rose is like, well, fuck you. I'm going to take her and we're going to run away. Which immediately I'm like, no, lady, that is how you get Amber Alerts. Like, (laughs) it's no wonder you get stopped by Officer Sexpot, Sybil Bennett, played by the wonderful Lori Holden. Hey, so do y'all have a connection with Lori Holden? Because for me, this is the first thing I ever saw her in. I did not realize she was an X-Files actress. Yeah, this is where you're missing all of these key secondary actors from a bunch of things because they got their start or they like broke big in X-Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no I mean, idea either. Yeah, I think this is my first introduction to her too. It's got to be close to The Mist. Yeah, I was like, it, it's oh, you're this right. and The Mist and then like what, the three seasons she's in The, the Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. That's yeah. right, <laughs> destroy her character. I was, yes, exactly. <laughs> 
But I, I, I like her in this movie. She definitely, I mean, we've got a queer coded, like she's a butch cop. Oh, and, yes. Yes. <laughs> which is probably why we have it on the schedule. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's also kind of obnoxious, like in that copy way where she's just like, I don't know, suspicious of everybody. Well, I will say I find that there are some really heavy cruising vibes at the gas station when she first meets Rose. Mm. And I'm talking like not cruising like she's eyeing Rose up, which, you know, maybe she is. Who knows? <laughs> but I mean, like the, the actual depiction from cruising where we have the killer who puts on like the police outfit with the shiny reflective sunglasses and that kind of stuff. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. I mean, I guess they, they try to excuse it away with like, well, she did have that kid that was abducted and she stayed in a mine shaft with for three days. So like, she's on edge, but therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this movie is a wash in mother figures, which again, get the penises out of here because out. it is obviously a very matrilineal, maternal oriented film. So it makes sense that Sybil... She doesn't have kids, but she's very much a mothering figure to Rose because she protects her until Rose gets enough agency to protect herself and Sharon later. Mm-hmm. All this to say. So Sybil tries to pull Rose over and Rose is like, fuck you, high speed chase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it does cause them to both get into an accident and Rose knocks herself out because she has almost run into the apparition of a girl in the road and... I know that this movie is old, but also, can we please get rid of ghost girls in headlights causing car accidents? Mm-hmm. Little overplayed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a trope in horror. I will say that I at least appreciate that even though we're in a two-hour movie, we are in it to win it. Like, we are kicking off. We are in this town at the 15-minute mark. <laughs> yes. No, I, I love it. Because, as we mentioned, that sequel, it's like you could set an alarm and take a nap before you get to Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah. So fucking long. <laughs> no, please, have a set piece in a goddamn mall food court. That's what I came to see. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Ah, okay, so when Rose awakens, uh, she notices that ash is falling from the sky. Sharon is gone. So she goes to look for her. And as she's wandering around this town, which is pretty empty, it's foggy. These shots, though, the this is when it's like, oh, this is gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. I love everything about her just walking around this foggy ass town. Yeah. And JP, I'm imagining when you were talking about like, yeah, there's a lot of just like running around in the game. This must be like, oh, wow. Yeah, they got it. Yeah, I did, and I know y'all mentioned it earlier, I do appreciate the camera angles they have and some of the the later scenes and, like, how they turn this scene from the game, you know? Like, it looks really good. Yeah, like, they, they clearly studied the way the camera moves in the game and they try to replicate it here. So it's not just about, like, capturing the moody atmosphere. It's like, oh, we're putting you into game mode here. Right. Well, we're about to get another big one with this alleyway sequence because this is shot almost exactly like the alleyway sequence that starts off the first game. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm talking like when she rounds the corner and the camera's kind of like going over her and kind of rotating. It's exactly like that in the game. It is wild. Yeah, that looked really, really cool. I was like, man, that's the game right there. Yep. I think that should have been the subtle cues to the fans of the game as opposed to going a little overboard with the use of the wrong monsters. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's tricky. So this is 06. This is four years after Resident Evil comes out. And I, I don't know if y'all are familiar with that franchise at all, but that's one where the first movie, like, eschews every single aspect of the games except for zombies and the corporation. <laughs> yeah, it kicks the games to the curb for a little It does. And th- there's a reason for that. Like, the, the, the director wanted it to be a prequel to the games, and then the sequel would be, like, the actual game, whatever. But... It's like there's a happy medium that needs to happen there, right? Like, when I saw this movie in 06, I wasn't looking at this alleyway thinking, oh, that's just like the games because I hadn't played the games. Mm-hmm. Watching it now, I'm like, oh, I can appreciate this more. But even without that that game knowledge, it's still, it, again, it's still nifty camera work as it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. If you know Gonz's work, like, I was a fan of his from Brotherhood of the Wolf, and he is a really visually dynamic director. So this to me was like, oh, he's just giving it a little bit of a, like, a French flourish, if you will. Kind of making, I don't know, like, not a rote scene, but something that we've seen a million times before. It felt like he was trying to do it differently, and now I'm like, oh, he was doing it differently because he was evoking the game. (laughs) Yes. So in this set piece, she's basically in some kind of underground section with a bunch of chain link fences and she discovers this disemboweled miner and then she gets pursued by these gray children into a nearby building where she faints. So what do we think of this set piece? I personally think it's fantastic with or without knowledge of the game. I was mm-hmm. I was like, wow, they massacred my boy Harry Warden from my bloody <laughs> Valentine, but I think it's all worth it. Yeah, I love that there's a moment later on where we actually see the mining costumes hanging in the church. And I was like, oh, shit, I get that reference. Oh, it's not a reference <laughs> to my bloody Valentine, but like the way that they're hung. I'm like, oh, that's actually appropriate to the way that you would do it in a real mining situation. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, I, I like this, too. And again, this is where for me, like the change to like the fiery town thing works, because when the darkness is over, which... I don't really know how many times this happens a day, but I like that they kind of like dissolve into ashes. Like they, they just like lift away in ash. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a good visual. I do think, I mean, the CGI here is a little, um, it's not the best, but it, it's not the worst. Yeah. And I feel like in 2006, it definitely could have been the worst. Yes. So like what we got, I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things, though, because, you know, we have Pyramid Head and the nurses are, like, real, actual actors. I'm sorry, dancers in makeup. But then, oh, I guess... This is a real actress. In the in the Grey Child? Yes. But I guess covered in green screen CGI stuff so they can CGI over her? Nope. What? What? It's an actual, like, she's quite short. It's an Asian woman, and, yeah... It's actually a shame because I think the FX work on her makes it look like a fully CGI creation. But no, this is an actual actress who had to like do the choreography just the same as all the others and like figure out a way to walk. And then they replicated her like there's only one of her, but obviously there's multiple great children. Okay. But yeah, it's a real it's a real actress. So, OK, so so it is a real performance aided with CGI effects as opposed to a purely CGI creation. Correct, yes. Okay, so, okay, I'm sorry. Then that versus the actual completely physical performance <laughs> of, of Pyramid Head and the nurses. Like, I, I do think that the, the acid-spitting figure we get later does look bad, but that's just because it's in the light. Right. That is also a natural person. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I told you to watch the choreography featurette, bitch! There were a lot of featurettes, uh, sorry, uh, plugging for Shout Factory, I guess, but the, the, the Blu-ray for this has a really intense amount of special features that are very long, but very detailed. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any creatures are purely FX except for like the beetles or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah that makes sense. And the barbed wire, obviously. <laughs> they didn't really send out barbed wire on that set. I hope oh, not. They're like, Abracadabra, let's make this barbed wire dance. Does anyone have any sentient barbed wire we can borrow? <laughs> uh, Sean Bean, no? You're no. not doing anything. No. You might as well go look. <laughs> All right, so Rose awakens. I, I don't know how long it is. Like, we never know what time is like in this alternative world, but she awakens in a bowling alley, which is a game location, and mm-hmm. we get Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. It's like the one question mark I have now that I've done all the research. I'm like, I don't know why. So it's a location in the second game, but yes. (laughs) Okay, so my point stands. Yeah, it's in the game. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so she she gets up. She's like, cool, I'm still safe. I have no idea what's fucking going on. So she does go back to the car at this point. This is where she realizes she's now trapped in the town because there's an abyss. And we're introduced to Dahlia, who is played by Deborah Kara Unger. And she looks a mess. She looks like a literal Halloween witch. And Rose is just like, oh, hey, like, like, why are you not screaming? That was my problem is that she's just like, oh, excuse me, miss. You're absolutely normal. It's like, oh, no. You look like an employee of Halloween Town with that hair. Um, Can I ask you for directions? Yeah, her wig is. It's It's a lot. It's no, it's it, it, it looks like a wig, <laughs> but I, I actually really do like Deborah Carr Unger. I wish she had more to do in this movie. Like she has maybe three scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I love the. <laughs> oh, hello, old hag. How are you doing today? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't sure if that was also like a game thing where you just come across a bunch of shady, questionable people, and you're like, "Hi, what's <laughs> happening here?" You, you do, but the th- again, the thing is, in the game, Dahlia and Christabella are the same person. So, like, right. Dahlia is an evil figure. So, by splitting them up, which is fine, like, you can make that choice in your movie. But it, to me, it renders Dahlia almost a little useless because she doesn't really have any agency. Like, I guess, I guess the thing is that she's the one hiding Sharon. So, mm-hmm. that's the thing, but meh. Well, she's also a bit of a harbinger, and she's an example of a fallen woman. This movie is all about how society treats mothers with illegitimate children. And considering that it is all about female (laughs) energy, I think it's important to have a mother who's basically been kicked to the curb. Y'all, I did not remember that the reason people hate Alessa so much is that she's a bastard child. Yeah, Yeah. I forgot about that, too. In the 70s? I'm like, what is... Can y'all chill? (laughs) I think maybe that was the reason. Like, oh, yeah, it's the 70s. People, a a religious cult would do this. But it's also, like, small-town America. Like, you're not on this island in the middle of nowhere with your fake religion. Yeah. You can drive to this place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes. It depends. If you've you've gotten there, you can't get out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky, right? Because we think of the 70s as like that moment where women's lib really starts to take off. So I do feel like there's some kind of connection to be made there where it's like, oh, we are in a small town with conservative values. And we don't want women of a certain kind here. Not in our backyard kind of deal. Mm -hmm. But run by a woman, too. Well, yeah. I mean, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't be an asshole. Yeah. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so we get a brief, very pointless couple of scenes. I'm just going to, like, elide them together. <laughs> Please. With Chris at the gas station, and he meets up with Officer Thomas Gucci, played by Kim Cody's. Kim? Yeah, I did not, I, literally, until I was doing my cheat sheet for this episode, I was like, holy shit! It's, <laughs> it's that guy from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I definitely said that name wrong. It's Kim Coates. <laughs> Can we talk, talk about, about the Gucci? Na- yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gucci. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a word it that exists. A choice. I guess. His partner, Steve Armani, is on administrative leave. <laughs> I was gonna say, you can't name someone Gucci just on a whim. No. <laughs> We're gonna have certain thoughts about it. I mean, that. okay, but see, uh, here's the thing. I'm assuming before the studio note, this character was not in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. So maybe it's like they had like a day to write men into this script and they were like, what's the name? Uh, oh, oh, they Kaiser Soze did where it's like he just saw a Gucci bag. Or maybe it's like a fuck you. Yeah. Like, I mean, you want a man here? His name's Gucci. Like Production studio? I'm going to tank your fucking movie. I'm going to put all this shitty shit into it and people are going to hate it. It's like, oh, you want male characters? Well, fine. I'm going to put one of the most high profile queer men names into this movie. <laughs> For one of two male characters. <laughs> and the other character is walking penis. <laughs> and they're both going to be useless. Oh my god, yeah. so useless. Uh, yeah, I-, I will not beat this dead horse, but yes, I'm going to beat this dead horse. <laughs> Actually, fan- someone make a fan edit of this movie without those scenes. Please. Please. I do wonder if the flow, like how the flow, because I mean, I can only imagine it, but like, I think that this movie would be so much better without them, and it would flow oh, yeah. better too. And nothing against Sean Bean, but every time he comes no, on screen, fine. I'm like, uh, bathroom break, right? <laughs> yes. He has nothing to do. He, he, he has nothing to do. No. Oh, I'm feeling peckish. Maybe I'll just take the fridge and see if there's any leftovers. Yeah. He's at craft services the entire time. He actually never never left the set, so even when they're filming Rada Mitchell, he's over at craft services like, good job, Rada. <laughs> Killing here a for girl. You. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> oh, you're going to make a phone call? Do you need me to pop over out of the set? Just, you know, sit on the side with my cell phone? No? <laughs> no? Okay. All right, cool. I'll just be here. <laughs> Actually, random timing, too, because the sequel came out in 2012, so it would have been like, he he did the Silent Hill sequel, like, right after Game of Thrones. Ooh. Gosh. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. A moment fallen. of silence, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Ned Stark is dead. Might as well go do a Silent Hill movie. <laughs> I mean... If nothing else, this film also doesn't work for his filmography because he doesn't die in it. And he doesn't You're die right. in the sequel True. either. Clearly, nobody cared about the Sean Beanness of it all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. So back in Silent Hill, we've got Sybil arresting Rose. This part's a little bit annoying because it feels like it goes on forever. And you're like, no, there's clearly shit happening. Okay, but here's the thing. What is she arresting her for? She says, I'm arresting you. You have the right to my time, blah, blah, blah. What is she arresting her for? Well, she did speed off when she was pulled over. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. that's true. I guess, yeah, ev- evading police force. Wait, that's a crime? <laughs> <laughs> I think we can assume that because 
Chris canceled the cards that he might have also reported a child abduction. No, I don't think so. I don't think he would have done that. I hate him even more. (laughs) (laughs) Neither here nor there. Sybil doesn't believe anything that Rose is saying, but uh, obviously it produces some static and then we get this disfigured creature. Yes, so the the static is actually an homage to the games too. In the second game, whenever you uh, you were around a creature, you would have static that would play, because there's no soundtrack in the game. I'm sorry, there, there's no music that plays like in like the actual like playing section of the games, mm-hmm. except for when you are around a creature and it's the static sound. and it, There's a low mumble of you're in danger on the static, and so that's what this is homaging. I I do think it's interesting. I don't know if it's an intentional like class critique of sorts, but we get a lot of um from the law enforcement. You city folk and your fucking cities and you're rich and your fucking cities and you don't like small towns and blah blah blah. Uh, so there's a little bit of that, but I do appreciate Rose's fuck you, you stupid cop. That felt great. Yeah. It did. It plays exceedingly well in 2021, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, Sybil Bennett is introduced as an antagonist in these moments. Like, we're definitely designed to hate her regardless of how we feel about police. And then I think just more so in the cultural moment, we're like, oh, you're just arresting people willy-nilly. Yeah, I really don't (laughs) like you. And she does mean well. And, like, she eventually becomes... I mean, that's something I can appreciate. Whether it's the writing or or Holden's performances, you do start off hating her. But by the time she dies, you really care for her. Yeah, she's the MVP. She literally becomes mm-hmm. my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how she did that. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is good acting. That's what that's called. This is true. Also, we should just make a note that I want to praise this film because it does so centrally focus on females and like female performances. But also, it feels so fucking masculine that she gets spit acid on and she's like, oh, I got to whip off this helmet and this jacket and reveal my super fucking tight top. Oh, yeah, that is not departmental issue. No, yeah, that is against that is like custom made. She got that at Spirit, I think. I was going to say it's Party City. <laughs> Uh, costumes by Halloween Town. Thank you for shopping. <laughs> I just imagine Lori Holden like, oh, are you going out for Halloween? No, I'm in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make these pants tighter? Yes. Can we make them more pleather? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, she looks fucking amazing. Oh, like, yeah. I can only imagine lesbians looking at this and being like, hello, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, lesbians and bisexuals, yes. The people who appreciate the female figure. There we go, yes. <laughs> I appreciate her butchy butchy dyke haircut. <laughs> fantastic. Okay, yeah, so while Sybil is dealing with this, we have Rose using the distraction to run off to Midwich School. Uh, another map thing where she has to look at the map to go through the town. I don't know for sure if it was a thing, but I, I would like to believe that the streets on this map were streets in the game. Yeah, they, they were. <laughs> oh, cool, okay. See, little things. There we go. Yeah, there is stuff about Gucci and Chris, and they're in the town and they're driving through, and who could care? <laughs> so, back to Rose. <laughs> she finds uh, a desk that's marked Witch, and this is our introduction to Alessa Gillespie, and uh, we get a little bit of a, a flashback about Alessa being bullied by classmates, and this is where we follow her up to the bathroom, and then we get a bathroom set piece. I love this. I think this is fantastic. Agreed. It was kind of reminiscent of, it was like borderline Cenobite behavior with what they did to Colin. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
funnily enough, actually, the one of the makeup the makeup effects guys on this no not make no yeah makeup effects um he got his start working on Hellraiser films. Well, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and we should note that, so the figure that she finds in the bathroom is that of the janitor who will later be revealed to have sexually assaulted Alessa, and this is the same actor who plays Pyramid Head and is also the choreographer of all of the other actors who play creatures in the film, and that is Roberto Campanella, and... The funny joke behind the scene was that when he was in pyramid head costume, his butt was always exposed from behind. So all the women on set were like, hey, it's a good day when you got pyramid head. <laughs> I actually have a question for y'all because I, I might have been really dumb. I ate. And the times I'd seen this movie before, I had never realized that Alessa had been molested by this janitor. I know it now because I learned it in my research, but I don't even I'm not 100 percent sure if the movie makes it that clear. But maybe I'm just really ignorant in this aspect. Yeah, I definitely was taken aback by that rewatching it. And I think they allude to it later. But yeah, they definitely don't spell it out. There's one yeah. line in particular where Dark Alessa is over explaining everything. And <laughs> she says something along the lines of, you know, it can happen to young girls on their own. And then it's a shot of Colin You're right. looking all evil and gross. Well, and, and that's the, that's, that is it. That is the one inkling. So maybe it's just my, you know what? I think what I had done was I zone out during that monologue every time. <laughs> because it, it, it does go on for a full 10 minutes. It is a 10 minute expositional monologue. It's a and lot. And I just, yeah, I never, I've never like until this viewing been like, oh fuck, she was molested. And then there's a whole thing about, oh, like, I guess victim blaming because it apparently makes her more evil that right. she was molested. It's awful. Yeah, Hollywood does love to do that, where it's like, oh, if something bad happens to you, you're going to get super fucked up as a result. And it's like, oh, wow, is this the message that we're right. delivering like, to can victims we not? or survivors? Well, I think that's where, though, the adaptation process becomes interesting. Because like y'all said, yeah, this this is a female-centric story written by two men. Mm -hmm. And the molestation subplot is also unique to the film. The janitor character and creature is unique to the film, but... Why Why are we now adding in a molestation subplot, you know? Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. No. <laughs> no. I don't think it contributes anything except to make it... Basically, there was just no escape for this poor girl. So yeah. if nothing else, it makes her a figure worthy of sympathy. And it's interesting because when we get to the end and we get that lengthy exposition about why all of this had to happen... We learned that it wasn't really Alessa who does all of this, right? It's like she merged with a demon, and the demon builds on her dark impulses. So, really, she's still a sympathetic figure. What are y'all... Because, again, this is where we can open up to interpretation. Do y'all think this is... Because I'm unclear. Is it a demon, or is it, like, just her rage manifested into some ghost thing? Which honestly brings up J-horror for me. Hmm. It never... Like, I never really know if the entity... I don't know. Like it, Again, but that's intentional on the film's part because the games are the same way. Right. Well, I mean, rewatching it this time, she's like, I go by many names or whatever. I'm mm -hmm. like, is she fucking like Pennywise? Like, <laughs> what, what <laughs> are you talking about? She's like, I know it's been 30 years since this all happened, but I got to step out at around the 27 yeah. year mark and just, you know, hop on over. <laughs> That's actually why she goes on for 10 minutes. She's like, oh my God, I haven't talked to anyone for 30 fucking years. Let me tell you my entire story. Girl, I have got gossip. I've got tea. All the tea. Sit down. We're going to have a kiki. <laughs> but sit down. She didn't even make her sit down. She's like, you're going to stand with this entire fucking speech because I deserve it. <laughs> 
Um, I see her as a bit of a demon, but that's also just because Christabella says if, if you want to survive this, you have to go into the demon's lair and like look her in the eye. Yeah. But they were also very dramatic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, are you delivering an understatement of the right. <laughs> They're very extra. Very extra. Very. <laughs> Okay, so we're we're still in this bathroom sequence. I think the thing that I like the most is that because Rose is not knocking herself unconscious, we actually get to see the deconstruction of the room as we go into the darkness. And I just think the production design really starts to shine in this particular scene. And this CGI too, as the as the room dissolves, is that the word we want to use? Does a fl- melts away, flakes away? Is really really good. <laughs> I'm like, mmm, flake of room. <laughs> I said disintegration because I love the cure, but yes. <laughs> I just feel like even 15 years on, this looks incredible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for the production, they said that for these kinds of scenes, they would end up having four different rooms or four different versions of it. So for the flashbacks, it would be pristine and new. And then they would have it for like, oh, it's run down because it's 30 years later. And then they would have it in like halfway disintegration and then fully deconstructed. That's incredible. I mean, that's where the budget went, right? The budget went to all these effects. I would have to imagine so. But also the scope. They apparently had 125 sets. Holy shit. Yeah, but like they also filmed this in a real town an hour outside of Toronto. So like the exteriors and stuff, like all the buildings are real, but they would reframe the walls and like set them up so that they could pull them apart and like get Gonza's camera in and that kind of stuff. Hmm. But the church is uh, 100% built and constructed in the studio. Gotcha. Yeah, they also built a fake road. But then for the fog, though, so like when she's walking, because obviously they're, they're not putting this fog, like it's not real fog, right? Like the fog is CGI. Uh, the fog is CGI, but the ash on the ground is real. Got it. Okay. It was uh, a labor of love from what I could see behind the scenes. And that's why, though, like when I see, I mean, I don't know, going back and reading some of the reviews where it's like, I think, Travis, you said this, but it's like, oh, they're just dismissing this film. It's like, yeah, that's the thing, too, is like, this is a $50 million film that a lot of work went into. And while I still have problems with it, I just, I, I can't imagine being so douchey that you won't <laughs> that you won't like even admire that like to give this like like i think entertainment really give this a d plus and it's like how do you like look at this and see a d plus i don't i don't know even if you just single out the cinematography and the visuals mm-hmm. it's don't be a prick yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the snobbiness like yeah. you said yeah for sure Okay, so Rose manages to escape from this. This is where we do get our introduction of Pyramid Head. And I think this is 100% one of those. If we're going to make this movie, we may only get one kick at the can. We have to include this iconic character. But I kind of think it was worth it. I mean, he looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's scary as hell. Okay, so basically we get him here. And we get, I, I do like this set piece we get where he's like driving the, the, the knife through the door and like swiping at Sybil and mm-hmm. Rose. But after he skins Anna later, we don't get him again, right? He's out? No, he's out. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's the, the only thing though. It's like, what is this? In the movie, like we're removing the games from it. What is this? Your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost think it would have been cool if he was like, the protector of Alessa. Like, he was the one that was in her hospital room and she, like, sends him out to do her bidding or something. Right. Like a henchman. That would be great, yeah. That would make a lot Mm -hmm. more sense. But we just get, like, 
back to Hellraiser, just a man looking for some skin. <laughs> well, and that's I, I think is whenever we have Christabella say, "Oh, the demon in the in the basement," I'm like, "Oh, so Pyramid Head." Like I, I think it's almost like he's built up to be the big bad, but he's not. No. He's just there. But you're right, Joe. I like that. I think it all looks great, and it's set up really well. I think it's just because he's such a striking figure that we expect, oh, this must be a top-level boss. And instead, it's like, oh, it's a weird J-horror kind of demon girl. Not what I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I do love that you're like, well, what is Pyramid Head's backstory? So what you're saying is you want another 10-minute exposition. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, they've already got that much exposition. They could throw in two lines about, also, I had this doll that looked like a man with a pyramid head. Oh, yeah, that's him right over there. (laughs) Oh, pyramid doll? Yeah. I didn't have any toys to play with, so I actually just gave him a, a butter knife that I used for my steaks that I ate, and that's also what, but it was bigger than the doll, so that's why it's so big. Oh my God. She got okay, steak. I'm going to say this gently. <laughs> Don't go into screenwriting. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I wouldn't put dialogue like that out of this film, because the dialogue, granted, it's worse than the sequel by far, but it's oh still, God. like, a bit on the nose in this film, but it's fine. It's fine. There are times, Yeah. What do y'all think about, because I think in terms of suspense and set pieces, I was kind of like, oh, they're in this terrible predicament, but they only get out because the time is up on the darkness. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the second time in a row this has happened. I think it happens once more. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, I like the situation, but then it's deflated because, oh, time's up. Everyone dissolves. Okay, we're moving on. Yeah, it's a little anticlimactic at every turn. Like, they should be shaking their fists, like, ah, next time, but... <laughs> I'll get you, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and your little demon girl, too. Uh, it was a little weird, them, you know, doing it over and over, but... I mean, it's Silent Hill. You know what I mean? It's gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> well, yeah. is that what happens in the game? Is it, like, there? there's intermittent periods of the darkness that descends? Or mm-hmm. is it that you just have to survive to the next stage? It is that, but the monsters are still present in the fog world, too. Right. Mm. Okay. But I want to say, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, I think Pyramid Head is only in the other world. But, like, the Grey Children and the... Um, the nurses are also in the fog world, so it just it just depends. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so we have survived. This is where Sybil starts her redemption arc because she has saved Rose because she's obviously clued in. Hey, weird shit's happening. There's like a throwaway scene where Rose and Chris are in the same spot and you're just like, oh, they're in the same place, but they can't see each other. Mystery. Oh, I don't <laughs> care. I think this actually makes it more confusing is having this cross-cutting scene where they're in the same place. Mm-hmm. It creates something interesting for me with all those match cuts of them in the same location. But like you're saying, there's really no... You have to accept this or else <laughs> the movie is just whatever. Yeah. 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 I think it's to set up the end where you realize, oh, she's kind of taken the Silent Hill with her home because she can't still now see him. But yeah, I would have gotten that regardless. I don't need it here. Oh, I have thoughts about the final scene of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get there in two hours and five minutes. I had thoughts about it 15 years ago, and I have thoughts about it now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so let's move things along to the hotel, because our next clue that we pulled from the janitor's mouth in the bathroom sequence directs us to the hotel, and this is where we meet Anna, who is played by Tanya Allen, and basically she's a proxy introduction to this religious cult, because she's introduced literally stoning Dahlia, (laughs) and then she's like, blah blah blah, elder sacrifice, fire, brimstone shit. Yeah. Witch burning is not where I expected this movie to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was unexpected. And this bitch with these rocks, because she's she's stoning her, and then later when they're all running for their lives, she stops and raises up a rock. Like, does she have a satchel of just stones? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? She comes prepared. I mean, it's very confusing. <laughs> like, if I see Dahlia, I swear to fucking God. And when they find her, they're just like, oh, hey, stop. Like, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I mean, also, she clearly doesn't give a shit. The darkness isn't that bad because while she should be running her ass into that church for sanctuary, she's like, let me get one or two or five more rocks in here. <laughs> yeah, I love that, like, we're, we're straight to rock territory. You know, I guess it's hard to grow produce in Silent Hill, so tomatoes are really expensive or something. And she's like, yeah, I just got a handful of rocks ready to go. We do get some, like, cryptic messaging from Dahlia. She's like, fire doesn't cleanse, it blackens. Evil wa- wakes in vengeance. Be careful what you choose. And it's like, all right, this is maybe going to pay off later. Um, Kind of, I guess. Yeah. We're sort of confusing two scenes. So the, the hotel stuff is not even that detailed it really only exists so that rose can see that alessa and sharon look identical and like Mm. we get a hint that there's some fire and like we get the introduction of that painting that the doorway is hidden behind this is sort of where the film starts to lose me a little bit because it feels very like get this clue go to that location uncover this mystery take the clue to the next location blah 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 And that feels like a video game. I don't necessarily (laughs) mind that aspect of it. I think it starts getting up its own ass a little bit. But again, when you think about the logic of it, like, okay, why is this hotel key in the janitor's mouth? Then there's a letter in the thing leading (laughs) to the room. Like, logically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't bother me that much as much as like ghost Alessa popping up in this ruined building and then bursting into CGI fire for like a quick jump scare. (laughs) I totally agree. Alessa looks like Sharon just discovered My Chemical Romance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, we've been in this town for like an hour. What happened? She's like, welcome to the Blackbird. Did you wander into a hot topic when (laughs) I wasn't looking? (laughs) Oh, shit. Sharon's discovered mascara. (laughs) She's gone. Uh, Things will never be the same. Yeah. So then we do get to the church. Yay. Um, Yay. I say yay because I actually think that the set design of the church is really magnificent, but also because we finally get to fucking Christabella, played by the one and only Alice Kriege. So, so Krieg. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out, so the, before we get inside the church, A, the skinning of Anna is awesome. Yes. And I actually, A, no, B, sorry, I already <laughs> said A. B, where are all these people coming from? See, it's shot really well. <laughs> There's actually a shot of Sybil where it's like with the cameras below her and she's like, it's coming. It's framed really good with the church like right behind her, but it looks like a video game cutscene. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like <laughs> Sybil looks almost like a CGI creation in this shot. And it might be a combination of the lighting or whatever, but it just it looks so good. Yeah, no, totally agree on A, B, and C. 
just all across the board. <laughs> it's a journey. We're, all We're here. here. That's skinning, though. That might be no, one it, of my it's... I mean favorite moments of the whole film. Yes. It seemed like everything was going a little more subtle. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, shit, we're Fuck. really doing this. <laughs> this is kind of the turning point of the movie, though, right? The first one's more like your mysterious atmosphere thing. And then the second half is a bit more of a loud, bombastic effects. Well, the effects are all over the place. But yeah, this the skinning itself, though. Oof. And maybe that's also coming from us as horror fans, like chasing that high. Like, oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, you don't see it like this, right? Like, I'm thinking of the stylist, Jill Six's movie, where you see her scalp someone. We watched the short a couple months ago. It's really evocative, but it's a drawn-out, lengthy process so that you can just really sit and revel in it. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, there's something so compelling about seeing a woman just get picked up and this thing just pull off her skin like you're unsheathing like a granola bar or something. Like that. It's like, whack. I forgot that he threw the skin at the door because this is the start of Rose's transformation from like, I've got my, my waspy white lady color palette of like tans and taupes and grays. And then she just gets covered in blood splatter. And from here on out, it's like, how much blood can we throw on Rose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she is red in yes. the <laughs> climactic showdown. Apparently, she didn't shower for the duration of the filming of this movie to like match like how dirty her character got as the film went on. I okay, that's commitment. Can you cite your source on that one? No, it's IMDb, so I couldn't tell you. So it may be wrong, but it also may have been something that Rada Mitchell gave in an interview, like. I, I haven't combed through all of those Blu-ray extras, but there was a making of featurette <laughs> from the DVD in 06 that I would not be surprised if it was on there. Because I'm, I'm sure for those, that's when they're filming production featurettes, like during the production of the film. So right. I want to sit in a chair like, yeah, I haven't showered in a month. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I would love someone to confirm that for us. Because when I read that, I was like, oh, this sounds like some idiot online who doesn't know how movies are made. And they're just like, oh, she doesn't change her clothes throughout the entire duration of the film. And you're like, yeah, because people who are in life or death situations don't stop at a secondhand vintage clothing shop. <laughs> I'll watch the featurette after this and see if it's in there. If it's not, then it's like, eh, whatever, someone made it up. I was disappointed that they cover so much ground on it, but they don't cover the costumes because I do think the costumes are pretty evocative in this, particularly Christabella's a very striking kind of rat's nest bun mixed with her like very pristine bluey purple number. I need to see this town pre-fire. Well, I guess we do see it a little bit because um, Dahlia has decent red hair. Mm -hmm. But I again, I'm going back to like, what, what ass-backwards town was this where they have a whole cult? The police weren't concerned about them burning children alive because they thought they were a witch. Like, I, I'm thinking about it too much. You've seen <laughs> The Mist, though, right? You know how this starts. Right, but in the mist, everyone's like, oh, Marsha Gay Harden's that crazy religious lady. Who do you think Christabella is? <laughs> no, she gets the people on her side in the mist once the apocalypse happens, but we're to believe that this cult and this people sacrifice thing existed before Silent Hill went all foggy. I, I got nothing. I got no defense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Any movies with cults will basically show somebody being like, hey, you should come and like live with me in the woods and yeah. not have sex with anybody but me. 
I do get why post Foggy Foggy Town, why people are like, oh yeah, what's we're religious, we're gonna be like super culty now, whatever. And I don't dispute the fact that there was a cult beforehand. I'm just like, the police weren't like y'all are sacrificing children in this wide open American town. Yeah, that's that's something too that bothers me a lot. Are you telling me the cops wouldn't investigate any of this? Like if somebody said something, they're just like, nah, it's all right. They're good folks. They're fine. <laughs> well, we are forgetting that we do have the one cop figure who is great, which is Gucci, who is revealed in the shitty asides to be the man who actually saved Alessa after she was horribly burned alive. Uh, yeah, day late and a dollar short with that one, bud. <laughs> and then he apparently like fucked off because now he's living in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Alessa was like, you can go. Mom, you have to stay, but I won't kill you. But I'm so confused by that because that's 30 years ago, but he looks exactly the same. I had the same fucking question. (laughs) (laughs) It's timey-wimey nonsense. I don't think we can look too far into it for logistics. Well, I I think if you don't have Gucci in this movie, the time lapse makes sense. Because, yeah, we can assume that in the town they're all stuck frozen in time. But Avery had to add in Gucci when the studio wanted more men, and he probably didn't think, wait, what am I going to do about the time? Eh, like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No one's going to notice <laughs> except for podcasters 15 years from now. <laughs> also, every time we say Gucci, I'm just imagining like actual Gucci being in this movie, and the movie is so much funnier. <laughs> Okay, yes. So Chris Davila basically tells Rose, hey, if you want your daughter, I can tell you where to go. You've got to stare down this demon. It's at the hospital. So everybody suits up. Off we go. Rose has to memorize the layout, yes, and go all the way to the basement. But this is where Christabella sees a picture of Sharon, and she realizes she looks just like Alessa. And so she flips out, and Sybil has to more or less sacrifice herself so that Rose can get on this elevator to hell. She could have gotten in that fucking elevator. She could have easily gotten in that elevator. I mean, maybe she was like, oh, well, we're going to have to get out of here at some point, too. So I guess I'll take care of it now. Witch! She's a witch! (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. I find this scene actually very difficult to watch because they just beat the shit out of Sybil. Yeah, for a minute you're like, is she dead? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like you're supposed to believe that she is until her next scene where she's actually dead. Dead, yeah. (laughs) Oh, you thought this bitch was dead? No, no, we brought her back so we could <laughs> yeah. kill her. We're going to kill her real dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, movie. So we follow Rose as she goes down, and it's basement time, folks, which means we've got sexy, sexy nurses to get through. And I love this sequence. Yeah, it's great. If there's a similarity between both movies, it's that the nurse sequences in both of them are very, very good. I like that this one just uses good choreography as opposed to the sequel, which also uses some egregious CGI. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which could also be the logline for that film. I was just about to call out the choreography. It was, I got, I don't know why I'm getting like thriller vibes almost. (laughs) Um, No, I don't think you're incorrect with that, actually. I mean, so yeah, these are dancers that they put in this movie um, to be the nurses. And so that actually would make sense. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Part of it is that the motions for all the creatures are very specific. And I think it's one of those things where this film didn't have to go so hard. They could have just said, oh, shamble like a zombie film. Not to say that 
people who act in zombie films aren't talented, but this feels like a step up. And particularly where you see, again, this feels like a very male gazy kind of thing because we do have these sexy nurses. They're all wearing stilettos and their boobs are hanging out. Not quite, but... Just for comparison's sake, there are nurses in the first game, but they just look like the the nurse who's in the room with her, Mm -hmm. and they have like a parasitic Quasimodo hump on their back. Slightly less sexy. Yes, it's not as sexy. (laughs) Depends on who you ask. (laughs) Unless you're into humps, no kink shaming. (laughs) It it, it makes sense to have the nurses like guarding her room, because it's her hospital room, but yeah, the sexiness is, it's like, Why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because this movie is directed at teenage boys from age 12 to 18. Well, we didn't comment on it, but before Anna gets scanned, we do, like, the the brief glimpse of nudity in this film is a naked Anna. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can't skin her without <laughs> that. But, yeah. I'm just more like, oh, that's not sexy. No, I it's guess, not sexy. again, maybe for Well, some. it's quickly ruined because... <laughs> can you just i'm just imagining you men in there like oh wow she's hot oh Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hold the phone oh <laughs> uh, yes okay so folks we have made it to the exposition dump via super eight old-timey video as Alessa details what happened to her. So she was abused she was sexually assaulted and then she was sacrificed over hot coals in order to restore the innocence and purity. She was born a bastard. Dahlia would not tell them who her mother was, who the father was. Then she gets teased. Then she gets molested. Then she gets called a witch. Then her mom gets tricked into sacrificing her. And there's a point where the monologue stops and we get rid of the old-timey footage and we're back to Sherry and Alessa. And I'm like, okay, cool, this is over. And then she keeps talking some more and we go back into the (laughs) old-timey footage for, like, part two of this monologue. (laughs) She's like, we're not done. Yeah. It's like, sit down, bitch. Oh, wait, no, no, no chair. Keep standing. I have Stand more to up. say. Freshen your drink. I have more. This is going to date this episode extremely well, but uh, it's like that meme where it's like, want to know a story about how this bitch and I fell out? <laughs> I don't think on my first viewing of this film, I caught everything i mean obviously i said earlier i didn't even even know she was molested but there's just so much here i think it makes sense now (laughs) but i don't think on a first viewing you're walking out of here like that made sense yeah i i didn't understand where the demon kind of came in because there's talk at one point where she's in the hospital and her anger and her rage started to manifest itself and this is where we see the nurse walk in and like the flowers have wilted and i thought it's her her hate and her anger that has caused all this and then it's like oh and also there's this like hot topic bitch over in the corner (laughs) who wants to like get in with her and i'm just like wait where did that come from i think the thing that got me the second time it made a lot more sense but the first time it was like Whenever Dark Alessa was like, well, I'm the dark version. And Mm -hmm. Rose is like, well, then who's that? And she's like, well, that's Alessa. And then Rose (laughs) is like, okay, well, then who's Sharon? Is that my daughter? And Dark Alessa is like, you would think that, but no. (laughs) (laughs) That's her Let me consult my glossary. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? Can you draw a picture? Yeah. A family tree would be very helpful. (laughs) Indeed, yes. Why did we include that in like all of this exposition? (laughs) Here, I've got a flow chart. Let me just pull it down on the wall. Oh yeah, like urban legend. Like, let me give a visual aid and have this slideshow going on. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
No, you're right, though, because the whole concept is, so Alessa that's in the bed who's burnt to a crisp, she is a physical human being. Mm-hmm. Dark Alessa is either a demon or a manifestation of her, it's her dark side, whatever, that right. has been physical somehow. Then, but the good, the goodness in her, the innocence in her, split into Sharon, who was yes. then whisked out of Sun Hills into an orphanage. Okay, mm-hmm. I think the yes, it's the inclusion of the burnt up Alessa that's like, wait, so if the soul split in two, how is this burn bitch? <laughs> Yeah, and the problem is, too, is, like, even when we get to the climax and there's, like, that stunning reveal, it's not Dark Alyssa who comes out of the pit. It's fucking burnt Alyssa. Well, they both do. The burnt one floats up, but then the, the, the dark one is, like, crawling out of the pit as Christabella is mm-hmm. getting bisected. So it also was like, okay, so wait, is Sharon not a real person? I... I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Someone explain it. <laughs> it's why she sometimes struggles with her language and just has to go something else. I don't know. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Yeah. She's just working out the kinks. <laughs> We've solved it. There you go. So good. So good. Uh, so this exposition dump is basically just a cue that, okay, if you want if you want to save Sharon, then you have to deal with this cult. And that means getting revenge on Christabella, who has already scooped up Sharon and is prepared to, like, kill basically anybody that she doesn't like. So that's where we're at. I think that that's where Dolly is mentioned earlier, where she goes, like, vengeance wakes evil or whatever, like, make your mm-hmm. choice. I do think that's why the end of the movie ends the way it does, because they do choose vengeance, which essentially traps them in the town. Right. Or the world. That, that's what I think. Oh. But again, open to interpretation. Thank you. <laughs> they basically let go of their good selves in a way, right? By committing these violent acts or allowing them. Yeah. yeah. Basically, Rose submitting to Dark Alessa and letting her... Cause, because Alessa says, like, I cannot get in that church. Their spells or their conviction, their beliefs repel me. But if I go inside your body, I can get in. So make your choice. I guess they didn't have time for that bit of dialogue because we just spent 10 minutes with her exposition. (laughs) But that's how I read it, yeah. So because Rose is like, fuck yeah, let's kill these people, that's essentially what dooms them to be trapped in this world. What I don't understand is why it extends to the rest of the world and not just Silent Hill, but I digress. Because it doesn't make as interesting an ending, I guess. No, it doesn't, (laughs) I guess. All right, well, let's get to the stunning finale. So we've got poor Sybil burned to death on this German ladder. It's rough. I don't love the make the CGI burning on her face, but it's still a brutal. And her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lori Holden's yeah. great. Well, it, yeah, and she's sitting there like, don't. I think she even tells her, "Don't look" or something. Like again, even up until her dying breath, she still cares about this child. And the MVP. Herself. See, and that's mm-hmm. that's what sucks is I've grown so much to like her now, and it's like I have to watch mm-hmm. you have the most brutal death. Yes. That's actually why I like this movie as much as I do. It introduces a character we don't like, it makes us like her, and then gives her the worst death. That is mean, mean <laughs> shit, yeah. and I like it. Rude. <laughs> yes, indeed. Again, it still, it still boggles my mind that this was a studio film with $50 million, this kind of subject matter, that made almost $50 million, opened at number one with $20 million in 2006. Like People went to go see this, and yeah. I'm mm-hmm. shocked but happy about it. 
Yeah, I can just imagine, like, mom and dad walking out of this movie. Hey, remember that point where that, like, religious lady got skinned? And then that other, like, hot lesbian lady just got burned alive? And then that other religious lady got raped with barbed wire? (laughs) Yeah. Good times. That was awesome. (laughs) I will say, though, if you read Sybil as a lesbian or queer-coded, it does then extra suck that she is, like, also brutally killed. I actually do read it that way. I honestly would have preferred it if it was explicitly stated that she was a lesbian and that added to the reasoning like behind her demise. Development? Okay. It, character development, but also the reasoning behind the demise. Because while, yes, it sucks that it's burying your gaze like we're killing a lesbian because she's a lesbian, given what this cult is, it would have made right. sense. The sin and purity, yeah. Yeah, and so I actually that would have added an extra layer of it too. Or, or if she was, if it was explicitly said that she was a lesbian, but they didn't care about that. They only cared about her being a witch, which would would then be a nice commentary on, it's okay that you're a lesbian. That's not, that's not a sin. (laughs) (laughs) We're just killing you for other reasons. Because you're a witch. Lesbian, good, witch, bad. Got it. (laughs) Uh, I laugh because it's uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) What else can you do? I understand that, like, I mean, people might not share the same sentiment where it's like, no, I don't want that because then it's like persecution of gays, blah, blah, blah. But I'm always in the mindset where it's like, yeah, but that happens. <laughs> like, that's yeah. really what happens. And so I think that, I mean, even going back to It Chapter 2 opening where it's like, it's upsetting to see a gay bashing, but like, I feel like it's necessary to show people, yeah, this is what we as queer folk have to deal with sometimes. And granted, we're not being burned at the stake. Well, nope, sometimes we are being burned mm-hmm. at the stake. Yep. <laughs> so just depends. Yeah. Depends what day of the week it is and where you live. Yeah. Right. Well, I agree not only with that commentary, but the fact that this cult is not above murdering or, excuse me, burning a child for being a quote unquote bastard and molested. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you can just add homophobia to that list. I mean, they're already fucking monsters. Absolutely. Yeah. It really is that, like, they view her as more of a monster after being molested. Like there's no commentary on the janitor at all, except that it's like a lesser that makes him the, the monster. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it comes back to that line that you said earlier, Trace, where there does seem to be this weird undercurrent of classism about we're in a small town and we don't trust big city folks. I do think that part of this is that they treated Silent Hill like a closed community where they've allowed their hatred and possibly their homophobia and their misogyny to just like run rampant and mm-hmm. say like you have to live by our rules or we will literally burn you in our fucking church like let's not forget this is a church that they are doing all of this in this is very much a commentary about like organized religion well and given that the special effects guy was the main guy on hellraiser 3 which also features a blasphemous church scene i kind mm-hmm. of like that parallel <laughs> <laughs> I still kind of would have preferred the games of like, oh, like, no, they're an evil cult worshiping an evil deity. And that's why they're like, I just prefer that as a thing instead of just like, oh, it's just really religious people. But whatever. <laughs> You're like, oh, I want evil cult. I don't just want regular religion. Yeah, even their yeah. symbol was like four crucifixes. It's like super Christ. It's like, what the fuck? You couldn't have figured something else out? Oh my god, spin off movie. Super <laughs> well, it's also like, I mean, you know, so this, it's like they're just trying to kill her because they're trying to extinguish sin. I don't even think it's, do they think that it's going to free them from the foggy town if they kill her? Is is that also the idea in mind here? It's the impression I got. 
Okay, but it's not really stated. It's still just like, sin, burn the sin, burn the witch. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think because they, they realized that they needed Rose to get the demon, but now that they've got the demon in Sharon, they can proceed and possibly no. break the curse. They send Rose to the demon because at the time, they don't know that her daughter is Alessa and she's like, I need to get out. So like, Oh yeah, you can totally get out, but you have the demon has to let you out. So you have to go talk to this demon. That's the whole point of them going to the hospital in the first place. Uh, Super Christ. (laughs) (laughs) We're looking too close. We're just looking too close. I know it doesn't matter. (laughs) Let's just pretend we're Roger Avery and like smoke a bowl and like finish the screenplay up. Could you imagine? (laughs) <laughs> I do like that you reference Hellraiser 3, though, because that's literally what we get with this climax. It feels like a redux of the nightclub scene from Hellraiser 3, where yeah. it's just like, lock them doors, nobody's getting out of here alive. You're right. Actually, I didn't even put that together, but you're 100% right. So then we get the demise of Christabella, where she pleads to God that she will stay pure, and then she is violated by barbed wire and ripped so i remember the barbed wire tearing her apart i do not remember it um molesting her Mm -hmm. and oof oof. no i think i gasped i was like oh shit (laughs) it's not something you see every day i mean there's something to be said and again this may be me being too sensitive because i don't really know if i really think about it that much but yeah i mean like because it's a cast full of women minus the two men it's all women who are being torn not tormented well it is tormented but like abused like we have a woman being scanned we have a woman being burned alive we have a woman being violated by barbed wire before being bisected like split in half by them mm-hmm. Whew! and it's men writing it <laughs> yeah that part doesn't sit quite as well and it does make me wonder like what would a female written or a female directed well i guess we know what a female directed yeah, the sequel, version of the sequel's this looks like uh, directed by a woman but yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that I think people would be focused more on now. Like, if you tried to make Silent Hills 2021, I think people would say, oh, you're going to tell an all-female story. We're going to want a little bit more estrogen onto that mm-hmm. set, please. Not just in the actresses. I do also think that the barbed wire situation was a little heavy-handed, because right before it happens, she says something like, uh, super Christ, please keep me pure. <laughs> and then it happens. Yeah. And you're like, oh, so she's not pure now. Yes. Well, now now that you phrase it that way, I'm like, is this some kind of retribution for them? Yeah, for the sexual assault. Right. Exactly. Which is like, yikes. Yeah. But then we're we're punishing like poor handling of a sexual assault with another sexual assault. Like poor yeah. 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 That's yeah. why it doesn't sit well no. with me. I'm on board with all of this, except for that particular moment. Like, I'm happy to see Christabella get ripped apart because I think it's very cathartic and satisfying. But Absolutely. I don't like that. It's like, y'all don't have to do yeah, all just that. Just tear in half. Rip yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't exactly. even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> JP's like, what the fuck are you all talking about? <laughs> I mean, because I, I had forgotten, and then there's a really, like, a two or three second shot of like, just coming up between her legs, mm-hmm. and we get a very extended shot of just her chest spraying blood right. <laughs> everywhere before we finally get her split in half. I had forgot, too, about any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we all just repressed traumatic visuals when we first saw it. <laughs> like, too much brain. <laughs> We're My not brain keeping that shut part. Down. <laughs> 
Yes. Because I didn't remember the stuff with Anna. Like, I remember that she gets killed by Pyramid Head, but I didn't remember that there was, like, nudity and skinning. See, the skinning is the one thing that I did remember from this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, horror fans. (laughs) The things we do to ourselves. But nevertheless, like, you know, barbed wire and vagina aside, um, this, (laughs) this set piece is awesome and i do love the image of dark alessa like dancing under the rain of blood of christabella that's fantastic yeah Mm -hmm. she's like hell yes this is my jam (laughs) i love this song (laughs) 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 and actually no because it's organ it's organ music which was giving me real house of haunted hill remake vibes me too yes (laughs) (laughs) so Christabella is dead, and we get to watch other people get murdered. It doesn't have the same impact, of course, because we don't really know who any of these other characters are. Mm -mm. But really, the focus is meant to be on the fact that Rose and Sharon are not privy to any of this. They just kind of close their eyes. We get the scene where Dark Alessa is crawling towards Sharon, and I think we all know what's going to happen, but it's still a little bit creepy. What, like they merge? Yeah. Just because it's like, clearly this is also what Dark Alessa wanted all along. She didn't just want into the church. She also wanted to take possession of Sharon. So again, they merge. What happens to that charred little corpse? And by corpse, I mean living human being. (laughs) No one knows. (laughs) I always took it to be that she got her vengeance and then she's like, all right, I'm I'm good. Peace out, y'all. She went back to sleep. And this is why, if you had just done the fucking game thing, it's like, hey, we're going to have this child be an incubator for a demon. Okay, cool. The demon is out. We're going to kill it. But there's no, like, there's none of that shit. It, it makes more sense, <laughs> which is saying something for a game that is very ambiguous. Yeah. Although you are then advocating that you would like a child to have an unwanted pregnancy of a demon? I think it. I think she vomits out the demon, I think. But I could be wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes. Okay. But that is not what happens now. So Sharon gets possessed. And of course, Rose is a big dum-dum and she doesn't realize. So they leave the church. Dahlia is the only one who is left. And they're like, cool. Smell you later. And then they (laughs) hop in the car and drive home. And Chris cannot see them when they arrive. So they are safe, but they have kind of brought the world of Silent Hill back with them. And oh no, it was all for naught. Yeah, I, I actually, when I first saw this in theaters, I was really angry at this ending because I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found it very underwhelming. And I don't know if that's just because it's not offering us the kind of closure we normally get in a Hollywood film. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm still pretty angry at it. <laughs> <laughs> so what now? Yeah, that's, I mean, I am a little confused. So Dahlia is her mother. Yes. But, so... But she wants to. <laughs> but I guess maybe so. She she, she doesn't kill her because oh yeah, mother is God in the eyes of a child. But I guess she's still punishing her because she doesn't stay with her. Like I'm really confused by that aspect of what this version of Dahlia serves because it's like, well, so now you have two moms, lesbians. Hey, no. <laughs> there we go. And Chris is out of the picture. Yeah, bye, Chris. <laughs> That, 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 that was the plan all along. <laughs> Get rid of the guy. We took the long way around. 
I mean, honestly, it would have kind of made for a more compelling ending if they had just been like, oh, I guess we're trapped here, but you've got both versions of your mom, your surrogate mom and your biological mom. I mean, you know, she walks into that house, which is foggy as fuck, and you don't, she doesn't notice it. She's like, this looks oddly very similar to the fog in that town we just left. I mean, she has been through a lot. She hasn't showered in <laughs> so shower. long. And Chris is making no impact, so no change there. No. No. I mean, he's <laughs> sleeping on the couch. <laughs> well, no, that that's the symbolism. He's not there, just like he never was there to begin with. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, he's wallpaper. <laughs> the useless penis. <laughs> uh, subtitle for this episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so y'all, final thoughts on Silent Hill. I feel like it was competently made. Great looking effects for the time. Felt like it was incredibly faithful to the game. And I didn't get to mention it enough was the awesome music. I think it fits very well in this film. The length, though. But that's because yeah. of studio meddling. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not mad at this. I feel like there are a couple things. Obviously, the ending I don't love. Um, I don't love the inclusion of the useless penises. But I guess that wasn't their fault. <laughs> like you said, T, the music the nods to the game and the like the brutal scenes like the skinning i'm like i'm here for it because i wasn't really yeah. expecting that no um I'm a, i feel about the same you know <laughs> i as someone who really liked the game when i played them everything looks and like like the sounds it sounds fantastic and it looks but yeah the story is just kind of <laughs> it's, it's just not working I wrote after I watched this again, I was like, the first 80 minutes of this movie, I think, are really, really good. I think the second Christabella is introduced is when things like the seams start to show for me. I really do think that given a more cohesive, sensical third act, this could... I mean, I still have this movie at a three and a half out of five because I do, I do think that visually it's it's enough to be like, this is worth, I would recommend this to anybody. And I do think that for those first 80 minutes, like there's really captivating stuff here. Mm -hmm. The third act, I just think is just kind of a mess plot wise. And, um, you know, there's just some issues there. But overall, I mean, I like the film as much as I've shot on it this past <laughs> two hours. <laughs> well, I think it's a bit of an easy film to find the faults in because they are so evident. Like, you can see how well it's constructed. You can see how well it's shot. And these sets are just amazing. The music is so faithful to the game. There's all these really strong pluses in its corner you know, we haven't, I think, praised the actresses for doing a really good job for sometimes like fairly thin characters. So mm -hmm. the actresses, I think, are doing really good work with sometimes shallow material. Yeah, yeah. I think it's this runtime, the unnecessary men, the studio meddling, and then that third act that just kind of goes up its own butt. <laughs> and it makes it feel draggy so that by the time you end this film even though we've gotten some of the best scenes of the movie in this last act you're kind of like yeah. i'm tired like i'm <laughs> fucking chris on the couch i'm ready for it to end yeah but it's still like i really enjoyed re-watching this i was like oh there's a lot of good stuff in here mm -hmm. yeah i would agree yeah it's, it's a lot of really good parts that don't necessarily add up to a, a really good whole Mm -hmm. definitely and that's what we're looking for a good hole <laughs> uh, okay pyramid well, hole that... what <clears throat> <laughs> 
Well, that will be Silent Hill, everybody. Um, before we announce what we're covering next week, Travis, Renee, JP, where can people find you on social media? And this is also your opportunity to promote anything you're working on. Perfect. Um, you can listen to Podmortem every Monday. We put out a new episode wherever you get your podcasts. I guarantee you can find us there. You can follow us on Twitter at the Podmortem. You can follow me at Travis MWH. I'm at Blood and Smoke. And I'm at Real Streeter 84. You can also follow us on Instagram if you'd like, like us on Facebook. And if you're so inclined, you can pledge to us on Patreon. Oh, we do love a good Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank y'all so much. Again, and y'all, y'all's uh, show comes out weekly, right? Uh, yes, indeed. Every, Every Monday. Monday. Every Monday. Oh, good. So you're not monopolizing Wednesdays like we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for coming on. It was really fun to admire and make fun of this movie with all of you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Uh, you can also find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we have covered on here and on the Patreon. And also our microqueer shorts are on there now. Uh, we've also got a YouTube channel where we record our microqueers recordings, so y'all can either watch those or listen. It's kind of up to y'all. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. This month, uh, well, we're towards the end of it, so this joke's probably getting old. But test your might <laughs> <laughs> with episodes on both Mortal Kombat movies, old and new, plus other episodes on Monster Hunter, a Sundance and South by Southwest Film Festival recap, and a discussion of jump scares in horror films, be they lazy or good or other things or both yeah <laughs> now joe mm -hmm. what are we checking out next week well i'm just saying that if this last movie of the month were a character in silent hill it would probably be stoned to death by anna that's completely fine we are going to head back to the year 2000 so that oh. we can look at some sexy sexy boy vampires in the forsaken AIDS metaphors as vampirism. Super fun. <laughs> Super shocking. Yeah. It's a really bad movie, but it's a real fun one to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so until then, uh, we can cross out Silent Hill. Yes, and cross out horror queers. You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.